Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. You may be seated. I'm glad he said it's not late because I'm not shortening my sermon. So, unless God directs me, then. Amen. It is so awesome to be back in Mankato. What a great service we had this morning. And as Pastor Cox said, just the the giftings of, of the church, the body, the music, the singers, the musicians, the preaching of the word, everybody being together to worship. How many are thankful for the body of Christ? Amen. Amen. In, in a moment, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40, but again, I do want to thank Pastor Cox for this opportunity. It's always a, a, an honor to me to preach to, to you all. Uh, as I comment a lot, a lot of you raised me, so <laughs> thank you for sitting and listening to me and giving me a, a chance here. Praise the Lord. And uh, so much support from this church. It's just sometimes it's overwhelming, uh, the, the support I feel. So thank you from, from my heart in, in that regard. Amen. In, in a moment, we're going to go to Isaiah 40, but I have a short story I would like to share. And uh, if you could put up that picture, uh, in June uh, this, of the town of that, of that village, uh, in June 2019, I, I was uh, in Norway for a little bit. And I got off of the, the bus, Brother Crane, and I arrived at this place called Oda. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty cool picture. In my mind, I did take the picture, but just looking at it is pretty fantastic. But I got there. I was, I was traveling somewhere to do kind of this really awesome hike, but I had to stop at this town first. And uh, Brother Zachary, I walked up to this kind of main area, and I saw these uh, these policemen with canine units everywhere, and I was just really surprised because I uh, had been in Norway for a little bit by then and had really hadn't seen any officers or anything, but there were canine units everywhere, and I was like, well, what's going on here? So I walked up to one of the officers, and I said, excuse me, sir, uh, what, what's going on here? And his response kind of shocked me. Uh, he said, the king is coming. And I, at first I thought he meant a band, which was kind of stupid to me. <laughs> I was like, what? But he said, no, the king and the queen are coming. And so I asked, well, can anybody stay and see the king? He said, yeah, you just have to stand behind the barrier. So uh, long story short, if you can put up the next picture, I was within high five distance of the king and the queen of Norway. Uh, that's King Harold and Queen Sonia. She's like 75 and she still goes hiking in the mountains, which I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, I couldn't understand a word of what was being said because I don't speak Norwegian, but apparently he was hilarious because everybody was laughing. But anyways, uh, there was kind of an excitement in my heart and in everybody else that was there that the king was coming. My title today is The King is Coming. The King is Coming. Now, I, I, can, I have Brother John to prove this. I was texting him about this last night, and then Brother Cox gets up and starts preaching about the rapture, and I was like, I'm getting more excited that the king is coming, because we have to be ready for when the king is coming. Amen. So I'm thankful for God and his direction. But if you allow me to give just a little bit of some background, we know that Israel was delivered by God through the Red Sea. How many of you remember the, the Red Sea incident? And the enemy was defeated, and the people of God were delivered. And if, we, if you read Exodus 15, there's this great line in there that says the Lord, Yahweh. The, Yahweh was the, the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. And, and so when you say that name Yahweh, you're talking about a God that is in relationship with his people. And this great line in, in ex, uh, Exodus 15, it says, and Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. So this tells me, Brother Lester, that when God is king, two things happen. When God is king, evil is defeated and God's people are delivered. How many are thankful for God's deliverance today? Now, I'm just going to tell you that I'm already getting just a little bit excited about this message, so I'm going to give you 
the permission to get excited with me as we go. Because we're, I think we're going to have some fun <laughs> talking about Jesus, excuse me, God being the king. Amen. The backstory, of course, is that, uh, well, how many of you have ever heard of King Saul and King David? We know that Israel eventually started wanting their own king. God even told the prophet, he said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They don't want me to be their king, they want a human king. And, and after King David, what happens to this kingdom is that it splits and there's so much sin and, and breaking of that covenant relationship. There's all this idolatry. And, and what happens? Moses told the people, if you sin and forsake your God, you, you're breaking the relationship. You will not have the blessings of the relationship if you break it. <clears throat> so we know that uh, the, uh, the big bad Assyrians come in and they take out the, the northern kingdom. And then the Babylonians, how many of you have ever re remember that story? King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, all those guys. We know those stories. The Babylonians came in and just decimated Jerusalem. Why? Because they broke the covenant. We call this era the exile. Now, if you are taken away from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, we might think, oh, well, who cares? They, they lost their city. Big deal. But in ancient times, your city was your country. So this is not just like somebody leaving Mankato. This would be like not just being exiled from Mankato, much less Minnesota. It would be like you being exiled from the United States. You're being taken from some, your homeland to somewhere else, and not to be grotesque, but probably most of these captives had hooks in their noses, treated like animals, walking hundreds of miles to a land that was not their home. But the prophets spoke of a new age that was coming. These prophets condemned the people of God because of the sin, which is rightfully so. How many are thankful for a pastor that's going to preach holiness? For a pastor that's going to preach against sin? You have to have that kind of preaching. Amen. And the prophet said, in this new kingdom, God is going to be the king. In this new kingdom, the enemy will be defeated, and God's people will be delivered. God's people will be safe under his rule. And this is where we are going to come to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm sorry for a little bit of that intro, but just to set the stage a little bit. What's interesting about Isaiah 40 is that Isaiah is looking ahead. That big destruction that we just talked about, that hasn't happened yet. In fact, it doesn't happen for over a hundred years. But Isaiah is looking ahead. He is going to say, look, I know what's happening, but I also know what comes next. So let's take a look at the first couple verses here. <clears throat> Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your what? Your God. Speak ye comfortly, or, uh, comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity, iniquity, iniquity literally means lawlessness, is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Okay, well, what's that saying? That's saying that, Jerusalem, you sinned, you turned against God, but he's going to forgive you. You've gone through the judgment, you've gone through this low time, but God is going to forgive you and comfort is on the way. Somebody th say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Verse 3. <clears throat> this starts off with a messenger crying out some good news. Now, I just found this, and I just thought this was just amazing. Okay, how many of you know, know what comes up? third? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of those names lifted up Babylonian gods. They were changed because Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah lifted up Yahweh. Well, you can't, you can't have that if you're trying to make people more worldly. You just change their identity a little bit. It's another sermon. <laughs> but Abednego was a name that lifted up Nebo or Nabu. It's the same, same kind of uh, same god, just a little bit different spelling. There's an ancient Babylonian hymn that exalts this, this god Nebo, and it says, Make Nebo's way good. Renew his road 
and make his path straight. It's referring to when the priests of Babylon would carry out these idols in festivals and and these idols would be presented before the people and the people would worship these idols. It's a hymn of worship unto this false god of Babylon. But Isaiah 40 verse 3 is not about a Babylonian god. It's about somebody else that's coming. It's not about the Babylonian God coming in, because remember, it was Babylon that destroyed Jerusalem. It's not Babylon coming to finish the job. It's not about the glory of a worldly God, but instead, the messenger sees someone else that's coming. And in verse 3, it says, the voice, the messenger of him that is crying in the wilderness. And what is he saying? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Yahweh, the covenant name, the name of relationship. And what does it say? Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Yahweh is coming. But what's he doing? What's Yahweh doing? Verse 4 says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. What's Yahweh doing? He's coming, but what is this? This, my friends, is a kingly procession. This is God as a king that is leading his people from Babylon, that captivity, and he's leading them home. He's leading them back to safety. He's bringing them back from the desert. He's bringing them back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, the place of relationship because when God is king, the enemy is defeated. Babylon is taken care of and God's people. You know, this, this to me is, is just like it's a new exodus. It's a better exodus. What God is going to do is better than the Egyptian story. It's better than the Moses story because Yahweh is the king. Amen. Let's look at verse 8. We all know verse 8. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now, we love that verse, and we, we quote that verse as, as showing that the Bible is, is true, and, and I amen that, and I believe that. But what's the context of this? The context of this is God is coming back as a king. He's delivering his people, and the prophet is saying, that's a promise, and God doesn't lie. That's a promise, and this will come to pass. This is a promise, and God is going to see it through, because he is a way maker. Man's life and man's words fade. God's promises never fail. I think that's another song that we sing sometimes. Let's look at verse 9. O Zion, or the the mount in Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up unto the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. What's that saying? Shout it from the rooftops because the king is coming. Don't be afraid. Don't don't back down. The king, he is coming. Verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord God, Yahweh, will come with what? A strong hand, and his arm shall rule. Not only is God going to be the king, he's going to reign forever. He's going to be strong, and he's going to rule with power. But there's a problem. Isaiah died, Brother Lear, and Yahweh never came. Hmm. This new kingdom hasn't come yet. But remember, Isaiah looked beyond the destruction. Isaiah looked beyond that turmoil. 
He looked beyond what Jerusalem was going to go through. He's saying, I know that something is bad is happening right here, but I'm going to tell you what the outcome is going to be because Jerusalem might be destroyed and there might be some discomfort and some turmoil, but I know what happens next. And even in the midst of the darkest trial, the king is still coming. The king is still in control. That tells me that God knows the history. It's not history to him. Well, it's his story, as we often hear. He is always going to be in power, so our trust, Brother Brom, is totally in him. I'm trying not to make this a history lesson, of course, but Isaiah lived 700 years before the New Testament. That's a long time. That's, I mean, think about Christopher Columbus and that's a long time ago, but between Isaiah and the New Testament, that's even longer. 700, at the minimum, years. But another prophet comes along. Another prophet comes and he's preaching, basically, Brother Horwath, the same message. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And what was he saying? Repent ye for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know what I feel like sometimes when we read this Isaiah passage, we automatically jump to this verse. In verse 3, it says, uh, Matthew is telling us, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one that, cry, that was crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. But we can't forget the context. Isaiah was saying Yahweh is coming. John comes on the scene to fulfill this prophecy, and he is the voice that is preparing the way for Yahweh. What is he saying? Get ready. The kingdom is coming. Yahweh himself, the king, is coming. And brother TJ, who came? Who came? That one whose name is above every name. That one whose name literally means Yahweh has become salvation. Because neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And pastor said it this morning that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and proclaim that he is the Lord. Jesus. Somebody just say the name of Jesus. Jesus. The king is coming. And Sister Lear... Jesus literally fulfilled what his name meant. So where do we see Jesus and John the Baptist together? Well, it's at Jesus' baptism. How many of you know the story of the baptism? Well, <clears throat> why was Jesus baptized? This is one of my favorite things to teach my, <clears throat> my Bible classes at Calvary Christian School. Why was Jesus baptized? And let me just say this, Pastor Cox, I'm going to quote Trinitarians on this so they can't accuse me of anything. But Brother Lear, the baptism of Jesus is not about a trinity. When you are talking with Trinitarians, this is probably one of the top three verses they'll go to if it's not number one. But the baptism of Jesus was not about a trinity. But I'll also tell you, Jesus wasn't baptized for his sin. He's sinless. Jesus was not baptized as an example for us because we're not baptized the same way he was. So what is, what is, what's this whole baptism thing about? Here's the answer. One, and then I have one point, one, two, and three, or ABC. Okay, so just hang with me. The number one answer is this. Why was Jesus baptized? Because he was being anointed into his ministry. 
And then we're going to see three things from the baptism that is rooted in the Old Testament. That if you don't know the Old Testament, Paul kind of says it like this. The Old Testament was our schoolmaster to teach us about Christ. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're going to miss who Yahweh is. Amen. So three things that I'm going to hit two of them really fast. And then we'll focus on the third one. The first thing is Jesus was being anointed as the high priest. If you go to Leviticus 8, the prophet anoints and and washes the high priest. Moses washed Aaron. In the story of Jesus, the prophet John washes, anoints Jesus, the high priest. The second thing is this. Jesus was anointed uh, into his role as the servant of Yahweh, the servant of the Lord from Isaiah 53 that we know uh, he was the one that was to die for the sins of the world. On a side note, we, sometimes we think about the things that Jesus did, his, his positions, the high priest, the, the son of God, the Messiah, the, all these different titles that we know him as, and sometimes we think they mean the same thing, but they don't. Uh, they're all different things that he fulfilled that are rooted in Old Testament prophecy. So when you're talking with Trinitarians, all this information I'm getting is from Trinitarians, so they can't accuse you. You're just a oneness guy that hates the Trinity. No. But it's about Jesus being anointed into his ministry, his ministry as the high priest and his ministry as the servant that would die for all. But it's the third one that I want to talk about today. The third one. Let's take a look at Matthew 3.17. What's it say? And lo, a voice from heaven. Jesus is baptized. He went all the way down in the water and came up. Voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then the dove comes down. Oh, it's a trinity. No. What is going on here? Psalm chapter 2 is being quoted. Now this is where I'm just going to tell you I'm going to get a little bit more excited because Psalm chapter 2 is what the the ancient Israelites would quote when they were uh, in a coronation. Psalm chapter 2 is when the person putting the crown on the head of the king would quote this, You are Yahweh's beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So what is the baptism about? Jesus is being crowned as a king. He's being crowned as the son of David. He's being crowned as the Messiah. He's stepping into his role as the king. And then the spirit came down like a dove. Well, is there another story that has uh, like all these doves flying around? Maybe Noah, anybody remember that story? Well, a very prominent scholar named James Dunn, he actually just died a couple months ago. He's one of the top New Testament scholars. He said, the people at the baptism that saw the dove, they would have instantly thought of Noah. Why? Because a new salvation is coming. This is not the salvation from the flood. This is a better salvation. And who is bringing that salvation? Jesus, the King. Amen. And then the Spirit came down upon Jesus, and that's that anointing. How many of you have ever felt God's Spirit in your life, and you could just feel that anointing? You felt that power from God. That's what this is, that anointing, that power coming upon Jesus. Well, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, but he was also truly man. Jesus defeated sin as a man. He conquered sin as a man so that you and I, as other men and women, could defeat sin too. Well, wasn't, okay, but didn't, didn't Jesus like already have the Spirit? Okay, how many of you have ever felt the Spirit and it, it's like God was prompting you to go pray for someone or maybe to witness to somebody and you just felt that, that anointing, that authority in the Holy Ghost? How many of you have ever felt that before? Now imagine being like that all the time. 100% of the time. Because the wording in, in the Greek that, that when the Spirit came upon Jesus, it never left him. I mean, John says that the Spirit came upon Jesus with no measure. He had all of the Spirit, all the anointing, all of the power. Unfortunately, you and I, we don't always live in the Spirit. Okay, I need to move on quickly here. 
But now Jesus, as the anointed king, will begin to build his kingdom. Let's look at Mark 1.1. The beginning of what? Maybe we don't have that one up there. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to read it one more time. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means the good news. And in the historical context, the gospel was proclaimed at the news when a king won a victory. Or when there was a victorious king that was coming in. Or there was good news coming from the conquering king. So when Mark is saying, this is the gospel of Jesus, he's saying there's a victorious king and his story must be told. This is the good news. The king is coming. And Jesus is going to show that he is the victorious king. Right after the baptism, where does Jesus go? He goes into the wilderness, and what happens to him? He has to confront Satan. And, and one, one temptation I think is so fascinating, Brother Zachary. What does Satan tell Jesus? Look at all the kingdoms of the world. You want to crown Jesus? I'll give you one. But you're going to have to take a shortcut. But Jesus said, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy every time, and Satan flees, and Jesus is going to show that I'm going to become a king the right way. I'm going to build God's kingdom. So what does he do? Uh, he's building God's kingdom. He starts healing people. Anybody remember any stories about Jesus healing people? Uh, he starts uh, forgiving sin. Anybody remember any of those stories? Uh, what's the other one? Oh, he starts casting out demons. What do all of these things have in common? They're all results of the fall. They all are representation of Satan's kingdom. Sickness leads to death. Sin leads to spiritual death. Even physical death in many cases. <clears throat> Healing people, all these things, forgiving sin, all, they all come from the fall. So not only, Sister Sarai, was Jesus building up God's kingdom, but he was tearing down the enemy's kingdom. That's another song we sing. There's so many good songs. Amen. Jesus is building the kingdom. He even tells people, the kingdom of God is here because I am instituting it. Here we go. He says, the kingdom of God is in you because the kingdom, of course, is going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's not, it's not a kingdom like the Romans or the Babylonians. It's a spiritual kingdom as well. And Jesus also says, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. But what is this kingdom? It's where Jesus will rule as the king. When the enemy will be defeated and his people will be delivered. And we will be at peace with God himself. This, my friends, is our future hope. This is the, the hope that we can long for. This is the hope, this is our confidence that the king is coming. And I, I know I'm, I'm building here. I'm building. Amen. Let's go. Let's go to Matthew 6. I'm going to start at verse 9. Let's read this, uh, this short verse together. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We often call this the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Now, if I'm just honest, Sister Lear, I, for a long time I kind of thought this, like reading this prayer, it was just kind of like, uh, I don't want to say wimpy, but just kind of like, oh God, you know, like let your will be done and let your name be holy, God. Just kind of a, almost a, a not, I don't really know how to explain it, just not a strong type of prayer, if I can say it, at least in my mindset, right? I thought it was just stating a fact. Just, God, let your name be holy. Uh, now, I do not claim to be a, a Greek scholar, Sister Becky, like your husband. But I took a couple Greek classes in this master's program. And yes, it makes me yawn when I think about it, Brother Cox. I do agree with you. But it is so valuable, the things I'm learning. Actually, some pretty cool stuff, Brother Lear, because one of the most fascinating things I learned was this. In the Greek, there is something called an imperative. An imperative, of course, 
is a command. When we read this, go ahead and, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead and put that back up there. When it says, hallowed be thy name, that's an imperative. That's a command. But, but here, before you start freaking out, we know it's ridiculous to command God to do things. Now, st- stop me if you want to, but uh, there's a lot of preachers that say, command God to do this, command God to do that. And it's nonsense, it's not biblical. But the Greeks had this, this thing called the imperative of entreating, which means it's a lesser power asking a higher power to do something. But not just a weak, like, oh, you know, like, you're asking this higher power with confidence. Not arrogance. <clears throat> not commanding. Not demanding. But we are, <clears throat> we are seeing here this imperative of entreating is an earnest request. In other words, what is it doing? It's calling on God to take action. Showing that we have confidence in Him. So when it says, hallowed be thy name, what you could add in there is let or, or must. Let your name be holy. Your name must be holy. Let your name be holy so that when people see you, they know who you are and they know what you are. And what are you? You are holy. Let's look at verse 10. What's it say? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom. So in other words, what? let's change that just a little bit. Let thy kingdom come. Your kingdom must come. This is, this is not just, just some wimpy thing, or it is definitely not demanding God to do things, but it's saying this. It is an act of, of just knowing and having confidence in our God. It's saying, God, that when people see me, let them see your kingdom. When people see me, let me be a reflection that it's not me, but it is your kingdom. It's demonstrating to the world what freedom truly looks like. It's another song. We're not bound by the same chains of the world because we are a part of a kingdom. Let thy will be done. Having confidence that God's will for our life is better than what we think. 13, just the, just the ending of it. For thine is the and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let it be truly. Amen. So as the Old Old Testament prophet said, the king is coming. Prophecies that this new kingdom would arise. And Jesus, isn't this fascinating? Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray with the Old Testament in mind. He's showing them to pray the promises that are rooted in Scripture. Amen. This is not a whole lesson on prayer. But you know, James says that sometimes we don't get what we pray for because we pray amiss for things that are not in God's will. So maybe instead of commanding God, we should just say, God, I'm trusting that your will is better for my life than what I think. The sad thing is that not everybody wants to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus, we know, is put on trial. He goes to Pilate. And what does Pilate say? They're saying that you're a king. What does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. If it, was, if it was, my people would fight for me. But all the way back in John 6, the people wanted to crown Jesus as the king, as a physical king, you know, not, not this spiritual kingdom, this heavenly kingdom, but just a king. Jesus ran away because he said, that's not what my kingdom's about. And I want to hit this uh, just really briefly. But I was thinking a while ago, was there ever a prayer in the Bible, that Je- in, in the Gospels, that Jesus did not uh, do? And I began to think, Brother John, when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and they're waving palm branches, and I, I had thought for a long time, what in the world was a palm branch have to do with anything? It was the symbol of the Jewish state. 
It's like waving an American flag as the president drives by. It's the people proclaiming Jesus to be their king, like David. Go and conquer the Philistines. And they are shouting something. They're shouting, blessed be, right, the son of David. Blessed be the one on the highest. But then there's this other, this other phrase called Hosanna. It's another song. I did not do this on purpose. But <clears throat> Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, that's literally a prayer. It means save us now. Hosanna in the highest, only the highest can save us. But Jesus is riding through and he's hearing them call out these kingly human, kingly phrases and these things. And he's thinking something, right? The people are thinking not about sin and death and the grave. The people are thinking about the Romans because the people want to be delivered from their physical bondage. But Jesus is saying, I know what you want, but I'm going to give you what you need. I am not going to go through with this prayer because I have something better. I have something that's actually going to deliver you. So again, pointing back to Jesus and Pilate, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from above. And, and Pastor Cox, you'll notice that what the people said, rise up against the Romans and you can be our king. Isn't that a very similar temptation to what Satan offered Jesus? So if you're not praying in God's will, you said this, Pastor Cox, when we were talking about it, when you're not praying in God's will, you don't know who you are aligning yourself with. But again, what do we see? Jesus is going to say, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm going to have a crown, but it's not going to be a nice crown. Because when, the, when he is led away and the Romans and the Jews lead him to that, that place called Golgotha, Calvary, they mocked him as a king. Here's a nice fancy robe. You're bleeding to death, but here's a nice robe. Here's a crown of thorns. And not the little thorns, I would imagine. We know this. We've, we've heard the stories, and we knew all this stuff. They even gave him a rod, I believe, as a scepter. And above, what else did they do? A sign that said, Jesus, King of the Jews, in the three, modern, or the three main languages, so that everybody could see, we're killing the king. This was a mockery. But he was the king. He was the king. And Sister Beth, when God is king... Evil is defeated, and God's people are delivered. Because when Jesus was on that cross, what did he do? When you read the whole New Testament, he defeated our enemies, death, hell, and the grave. And because of that victory, we can be saved. Because he overcame what we could not. We can be delivered. We can be set free. When God is my king... Evil is defeated, and I am in safety. And I want to tell you that the king is coming. I have two more passages, just short passages here to read. The king is coming. And in fact, if we go all the way to the end of the Bible, John the apostle sees a vision of this king. Revelation 1 verse 5, and it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of all the kings of the earth, that means he's the king of kings, unto him that loved us, and through this work on the cross, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. We see all kinds of Old Testament symbolism there as well. We, verse 6, not only is he a king, but he hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father. Right? We're talking about the man Jesus and, and God the Father. You know, one thing I'm really excited about, this is calling us kings, but I can't wait to throw my crown down. 
I can't wait to throw my crown at his feet because he is the true king. But the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. We're a kingdom of priests that acknowledge that God is our king. And the ending of this verse says, To him be glory and what? Dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, and this is the the last part for chapter 1 that I want to look at. Behold, he cometh with clouds. As he went up, so shall he return. And every eye shall see him. And this is the part where, thinking about Jesus on the cross, and they also which pierced him, they shall see him too. And the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. You'll notice two different groups of people from verse 5 to verse 6, don't you? And Brother Cox, you preached it excellently this morning. Everybody's going to see him. Everybody is going to bow. But I would much rather be a part of the kingdom of priests than the ones that are going to wail because I turned against him. And John, in in proceeding through Revelation, begins to describe Jesus as a conquering king. And Brother Crane, one one of the images, I was reading Revelation last summer, and this just kept coming back to my head, Brother George. When Jesus comes back, there is a description of him with fire in his eyes and a sharp sword that will cut down his enemies. The king is coming with fire in his eyes. But when God is king, his enemies have now been defeated. But what about God's people? I read this portion of scripture when I was here a month or so ago. Revelation 22, we're just going to read verse 3 and 4. And there shall be no more curse, because God defeated that. Jesus defeated that curse, defeated the sin, defeated the grave, defeated all that. He is the conqueror. There is no more curse. But what? The throne of God and the Lamb. That's what we're going to see. The throne. Well, who sits on thrones? A king. The king shall be there, and his servants shall serve him. And verse 4 says this, And they shall, they meaning us, the bride, shall see their faces. Their faces. No? Oh, my apologies. His face shall see his face. Who? The one on the throne. God and the Lamb. Because when you see the face of Jesus, you are seeing God and the Lamb. Both of them in the face of Jesus. The one that conquered your enemy and the one that saved your soul. We shall see his face. Amen. If the music could come, I'm going to close here. Everyone said, thank God. Now we may be thinking the same thing that people thought when they read Isaiah's message. When he said, prepare the way of Yahweh the king. We might be thinking, when will this king come? When will this kingdom come? From Isaiah to Jesus, it was 700 years. From Jesus to us now, it's about 2,000. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples had the same question. They said in verse 6, When they, the disciples, therefore were come together, they were with Jesus, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? It's kind of funny, Brother Menjavar. They ask him again, okay, well, you didn't defeat the Romans, you know, like before the cross, but are you going to defeat them now? And Jesus says in verse 7, Jesus said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. When's the kingdom coming? When is the king coming? Jesus says, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to worry about. But then Jesus explains, not when the kingdom will come, but how the kingdom will be spread. Because he says in a verse that we love to quote, he says in verse 8, but ye shall receive power. 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power, anointing, the Holy Ghost, kind of like Jesus at the baptism. When he was empowered to do something, God's Spirit is going to empower you to do some things. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Pastor Cox, witnesses for the King both in Jerusalem, the city, and to Judea, the region, unto Samaria, and then to all of the world. So I can tell you today that I don't know when the king is coming, but the king is coming. But I do know how the kingdom will grow, and that is through you. When we are empowered by God's Spirit to further the kingdom, God will anoint us to do some pretty awesome things. Sometimes I pray, God, help me to build your kingdom a little bit more than yesterday. Just a little bit bigger than yesterday. Help me to to be a part of something. You know, if we're honest, has anybody ever thought, "Is, is what I'm doing even worth it? This life, sometimes, Brother Crane, I've been teaching now at at Calvary Christian School for six years, and I'm teaching middle schoolers and high schools, and Sister Cox, sometimes I think, is anything getting through? Is what I'm doing, is it worth it? And sometimes I, I begin to think that they're not getting it, they're not understanding, but then I always have to come back to this. Is it building the kingdom? Because if it's building the kingdom, that is what's going to last. Then it doesn't matter how much work, blood, sweat, and tears goes into it. The kingdom is eternal. And I have been commissioned by the king to do some stuff. You're talking about the body of Christ. God's called me to do some things. God's called you to do some things. God's called you to do some things. They're not all the same, but we're all a part of that kingdom. Brother Waldron is a pastor in Georgia. He pastors a couple churches. He was up preaching a camp. And I believe he actually went to a church after the camp. And the pastor of that church came up to Brother Waldron and showed him a picture. And the picture was of a woman, or it looked like a woman. And the pastor said, that was me. He says, of course, I was a, a transgender. Brother Waldron said, and well, you know, he kind of probably did the double take thing, I'm sure, but he said, well, what happened? Obviously, God's grace, but this is what the pastor said, and this line is stuck with me. He said, I just came to church, and they loved me to the truth. Because it's about the kingdom. Now that man's a pastor, and he's showing love to other people that need some godly kingdom love pulled me out of some stuff. We we just had love for the truth and and brother Bobby Kilman was here, but brother Bublitz, his dad is a witnessing machine. Elder uh, elder brother Kilman. This happened just recently. Elder brother Kilman, I'm ashamed to say this, he walks 2 to 3 miles a day. I walk like point 0. But he walks two to three miles a day. He's got a routine. He goes through the same routine every day, walking uh, those two to three miles. But one day, God told him, go down that road. He doesn't go down that road. Well, okay, God. He's always looking for an opportunity, apparently. And he's walking down the road, and and he, he sees this pretty, if we can just, I'm not trying to be mean, just telling you the story. There's a pretty rough looking, you know, big, big guy, rough looking guy walking kind of towards him and elder brother Kilman says, oh, you're, you're out getting, getting some exercise out walking today. And he's like, yeah, yep, yep. I just wanted to walk around a little bit. And brother Kilman said, well, do you go to church anywhere around here? this man said, no, no, I don't go to church anywhere. He's like, well, do you want a Bible study? You want, well, the story turns out that that man had just gotten out of prison. He was just in his house praying that God, I want to get my life turned around. Is there a church that I need to go to? 
Is there somewhere I need to go? And Brother Kilman, when he heard that, he said, God orchestrated this meeting. We're going to go to Calvary Tabernacle and we're going to get you baptized in the name of Jesus. So what am I trying to tell you today? It's not hard to build the kingdom. So my question is similar to what Pastor Cox preached this morning. Are you ready? But my question is, are you a part of the kingdom? Because if you're not, there's a Holy Ghost power that's waiting for you right here in this place. There's an anointing. Because when God is your king, I'm just going to keep saying it, that when God is your king, the enemy is defeated. And you can be saved. Brother Crane, you were saved from some stuff. Amen. How many else can say that God pulled me out of the darkness? God pulled me out of some stuff. Because God is now my king. Maybe you're a part of the kingdom, but you just need a little bit more anointing. God's here for that too. God's here to revive us in the Holy Ghost. God's here to, for a fresh anointing, that power in the Holy Ghost. God is here for that today. And maybe you are committed and you are in the kingdom. Well, let's grow this kingdom. Let's grow this kingdom. You may have heard about some stuff going on in the news. I don't really care because the king is coming. You may have some stuff going on in your life. We all do, and it's all different, and God is still in control. I'm not trying to make less of anybody's situation, but what I'm trying to say is that God is still the king. Jesus is still the king. So we're going to start singing here, and this is my challenge. Let's pray for that anointing. Let's pray for that authority in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray to be a part of the kingdom. Let's pray that, God, I want to be used for your glory. I want to be used to lift up your kingdom. The king is coming. Are you going to prepare his way? Are you going to be a voice crying out when nobody else is crying out? Make way for the Lord. Make way. Make his path straight because the king is coming and when the king comes the enemy is going to be defeated and all of those things are going to pass away but we shall reign with him forever and ever can we just lift up our hands and pray that god i want to be a part of the kingdom thank you for listening to our podcast this week we hope you enjoyed this message Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.